uh, like I said last night, we're going to spend this time together answering three questions. Um, these are th- questions that we will answer with our lives. You can answer them thoughtfully or you can wing it. And what I'm urging you to do is to answer these thoughtfully, to, to thoughtfully consider these questions. Right, last night, we, the question was, who am I? The question of identity. We said, who you name as king, you give the authority to name you. And when you name Jesus as king, he names you as his beloved, righteous, holy, son of the king, daughter of the king. And tonight, our question is, where do I belong? Question of, of belonging, of community. What is my primary community? Where do I belong? Who are my people? Where do I fit? Right? We all want to fit. We all want to fit in somewhere. We ask this question, who are my people? Where do I belong? Um, who here has seen Pitch Perfect? First one. First one. Okay. So opening scene of Pitch Perfect. Uh, but if you're unfamiliar with this cinematic masterpiece, um, Pitch Perfect is about acapella groups. And it opens, the movie opens on this college campus, and there's this a cappella group called the Treblemakers. <laughs> I know, right? Puns. Get ready for four years of puns. Um, and they are the all-male a cappella group at this, at this college, and they're there for freshman activity fair. So which, it's the, it's you, all your schools will have it. And, um, and this guy named Benjamin Applebottom walks up to the Treblemakers. And Benjamin Aquilon is just, he just longs to belong to this group. And he approaches the group and he says, are you the troublemakers? I saw you perform when I was in high school and it changed my life. I became a certified illusionist because of your performance. And then Bumper, who's the leader of the troublemakers, says, what a nerd alert. Okay, guys, let's match pitch. La! Like, are you guys familiar with this? All right, how many of you thought that this is what college will be like? Nobody? Oh. All right, maybe one or two of you. So I love this scene because it's silly and it illustrates this reality that we all feel, we all have this sense deep in our gut that we, we are designed to belong to a group. Whether you're Benjamin Applebottom, you feel like you're designed to belong in the Troublemakers, or you belonging somewhere else, we all have this sense that we, we, we know that we're made to belong to a group. So freshman activity fair, it'll happen within the first couple of weeks of, of your freshman year, and However your campus does it, whether it's on the quad or it's um, in a gym, there'll be tables set up and every student organization will be out there and will, um, it's this public invitation saying, if you are like us, you can come um, be with us. If you're like us, you can come be with us. And as freshmen, you're going to walk into that space with question marks over your head. Ask me, is this where I belong? Maybe this is where I belong. Some of you are going to walk through and maybe pick one or two. Some of you are going to join everything. Um, And this is not just at Freshman Activity Fair. Perhaps more intensely than any other time in your life, you're going to spend your freshman year, and especially those first few months of freshman year, walking around campus with a question mark over your head, asking the question, is this where I belong? You'll do it in your dorm or your hall, meeting the people that you've been randomly assigned to live with, asking the question, is this where I belong? Or um, in fraternity houses or apartment, apartment parties, asking them, is this where I belong? Maybe on a sports team, if you're going to play varsity sport or you're planning on playing a club sport, asking that question, is this where I belong? Whatever group you affiliate with, that's the question you'll be asking as you walk into it. All of us will be asking this as you walk onto your college campus. 
Jason Harris, who is a pastor in New York City um, and a former RUF campus minister at Northwestern University. When he was at Northwestern, he had a conversation with the dean of students there, and he asked them, hey, what are the, what are the top issues that are facing students at Northwestern? And the dean of students said alcohol, um, emotional health, and then the third one he thought was shocking. He said uh, the third issue, most important issue, is community. He said that people show up at counseling services at Northwestern because of loneliness more than anything else. This is fascinating because you would think, right, if you took 8,000 people within four years of each other who are intelligent and capable and interesting, this would just be a petri dish, petri dish for, for friendships, that good friendships would just be springing up all over the place. But it's just not true. There are tons and tons of lonely people on college campuses. So why is this? Um, some possible reasons. One, it might be that you forget just you, you forget just how comfortable you are right now in your friendships. Um, you've been with your current friends for a long time, right? at least a couple of years. And when you show up at a new school, you hit reset on this. You're navigating this new world, and everyone there is doing it at the same time. So it might be hard to find your niche at first. Second is that there might be factors at your school that actually work against community. At Wake Forest, it is the treadmill, treadmill of achievement. There's this mindset at Wake that if it doesn't add to your resume, then people won't do it. And so there's this battle between achievement and relationships. And 95% of the time, achievement wins. Um, maybe at the school you're going to, it's the party scene, where, or there's mo- lots of schools, most schools, that, that everyone wants to know everyone, but the party scene leaves very little space for actually being known by anyone. Lots, there are lots of factors that work against real relationships. Or maybe you're someone um, whom friendships come to easily. You're one of those extroverts who has a ton of friends, but you fear that if anyone actually knew me, they'd reject me. So you're going to walk onto, onto college campus with a question mark over your head, asking the question, who are my people and how do I connect with them? One of the most beautiful gifts given to us in the gospel is that Jesus doesn't simply save us from our sin and our shame and our guilt and our fear, but he saves us into something new. He saves us into his family. And when we name Jesus as our king, we don't become an only child in the family of God, but he gives us a new family in the church. When you name Jesus as king, his answer to the question, where do I belong, is that you belong with his people. Wherever God's people are, that is your primary place of belonging. If you're a Christian, uh, Christian community is part of your DNA, whether you know it or not. You are designed for Christian community. So tonight, our outline um, that we're going to work through is first talk about the design of community, the cost of community, and finally, the gift of community. So the design, the cost, and the gift. So we're going to read from John 15 together. Um, verses 1 through 19. Uh, You can read along with me. This is the word of God for us tonight. It is completely true and it is given to us in love. John 15, starting in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
remain in me and I also remain in you, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us tonight, and we pray now that you would help us to make sense of it. Help us to see your goodness to us in Christ. Um, Lord, help us to answer the question that we all ask, um, where do we belong? We pray in Jesus' name. So first, the design of community. So in this picture that Jesus gives us of the vine and the branches, he's illustrating a deeper reality. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus was cast out for us. Right? On the cross, Jesus was cast out from the Father for us that we might be brought near, be reunited to God and to one another. And when we name Jesus as our king, he renames us. He renames us as children of God so that we can name him as our king. A couple of years ago, um, Mary Clark, my wife's cousin, posted a picture on Facebook of, of her new baby son. And, um, and this really surprised us because her cousin, Liza, was never pregnant. And she posts this picture of this brand new baby boy and his new name, John Dunbar Coke III. And what happened is they, adop- they adopted this baby at his birth, and they gave him a new name when they brought him into their family. And this is one of the major ways that the Bible talks about what God has done for us in Christ, that he has adopted us into his family. We are now part of the household of God. Or to say it another way, if Jesus is your king, then the truest thing about you is that you belong, both body and soul, in life and in death, to God and to your Savior, Jesus Christ. And if through Christ you have God as your father, then you have one another as your siblings. siblings. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the vine and the branches. Look at verses 3 through 6 with me. If you would look down with me. Verse 3, Jesus says, already you are clean. This is what we talked about last night, justification, because Jesus lived the life that we should live, and he died the death that we deserve. Through faith in him, we receive forgiveness of sins. We are cleansed of our unrighteousness. 
verses 4 and 5. He says, as a branch, you have to be connected to the vine to live. If you try to make sense of life, if you try to live your life apart from Jesus, you will wither up and die. You can't bear fruit by yourself. Jesus emphasizes this. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And then verse 6, he says, apart from the vine, the only thing that a branch is good for is kindling. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He's saying, if you try to live your life apart from me, you will die apart from me. Now, some of you may be thinking that you can have Jesus as your king, have him name you as his beloved, and answer the question, where do I belong on your own? Right? Hey, I'm good. It's just me and Jesus. Um, that's all I need. But just tell you, this is totally outside the framework of Christianity. Um, this idea of Christianity, like it's just me and Jesus, that's all I need. This is totally, this finds no, this finds no grounds in Scripture. And there's not an era in human history where the church, where Christians around the world has seen this as a legitimate way of following Christ, a legitimate way of being Christian. And it's right here in these verses. Because all of the yous in this passage are plural. And we miss this, right, because of the deficiency of the English language outside of the South. Like, let's, let's read it again, but let's borrow from the, the rich linguistic superiority of, of Southern English. So um, look at verses 7 through 12 with me again. If y'all abide in me, and my words abide in y'all, ask whatever y'all wish, and it will be done for y'all. By this my Father is glorified, that y'all bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved y'all. Abide in my love. If y'all keep my commands, y'all will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to y'all, that, y'all, that, your, that my joy may be in y'all, and that y'all's joy may be full. This is my commandment. This is my commandment, that y'all love one another as I have loved y'all. Right, it's silly hearing it that way. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's, he's saying that God has created you for spiritual friendships. Right? You don't get your own Jesus vine. All of us are branches in him. Jesus is telling me that I cannot be a Christian without you, and you cannot be a Christian without each other. Say that again. I cannot be a Christian without you, and you cannot be Christians without one another. And it goes deeper than this. This is actually rooted in God himself. That in the beginning, when God created created heaven and earth, at the pinnacle of creation, when he made humans in his image, this is what he says in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Make in our image. God is three, and God is one. God is a trinity. God has existed from all eternity in self-giving, other-focused love. The way that the Bible talks about this and talks about this passage is glory. This is the word that the Bible uses more than any other to describe how the persons of God relate to one another. This means that they love one another and attribute great worth to one another. The Father values the Son. The Son values the Spirit. The Spirit values the Father and the Son. That there's this self-deferring love to one another. God himself is a life-giving, other-directed community. The Apostle John says this in 1 John by saying, God is love. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, God is love has no meaning unless God consists of at least two persons. A living, dynamic activity of love has been going on forever and has created everything else. God is a pulsating activity, a dance. God is a drama. I'm going to read that again. 
God is love has no meaning unless God contains at least two persons. A living dynamic activity of love has been going on forever and has created everything else. God is a pulsating activity. God is a dance. God is a drama. So how does this have anything to do with you showing up to freshman year, figuring out where your dorm is and where your classes are? Like how, do, how do these two things connect? Well, it's highly practical that God himself is a community. Why? Because you were made in his image. You were designed to be in a community, to be in a family that is a drama and a dance and that runs on glory, that runs on this other-directed, self-giving love. This is what Jesus is saying in verses 11 through 13. Look at this with me. Verses 11 to 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. A friend of mine says that, um, that we're kind of like iPhones. You know the way iPhones have these apps that you can't delete? Um, the same is true for us. The community and relationships, you can't delete them. They are part of you. You cannot change this about yourself. This is hardwired into who you are as a human. And it's true of all, all of us. It's true of me. I need community. I need friends who will tell me true things about me, friends who will lay down their life for me. And I've had, had, I've had to find people at every stage of life, every place I've lived, um, like this. And I've found them in the church. God has created you for spiritual friendships. Friendships where you name the same king, where you remind one another of the name that King Jesus has given to you, and where you lay down your lives for each other. So a question that you need to ask yourself an answer for yourself is, do you want friendships like that in college? Do you want friendships like that in college? Do you want friendships that encourage you? Friendships that love you? Friendships that help you? Friends that help you remember who you are? So how, how do we do this? What is the cost of Christian community? If this is how we're designed, if God has created us for Christian community, Jesus has saved us into Christian community, why is this so hard for us? Well, a couple of things why this could be so far hard for us. One of the things is that we hide from one another and we don't invest in the relationships that we need. I mean, we, all, we all have things that we hide from each other. Right? We fear rejection, so we often hide our sin or we hide the ways that we've been sinned against and the resulting shame and fear and guilt. And this pushes us to be alone. Right? We, let, we let our mugshots define us. And so we... We end up settling for a limited version of the Christian life. We settle for intellectual assent, right? Um, I, I ascribe to this set of doctrine that I say is true, but I have no vulnerability, no accountability. I don't abide. I don't have any relationships in this. No abiding in Jesus' love with one another. But friends, the call of Jesus is radical. It will reorient your life. It's comprehensive. Jesus wants all of you. Look at verse 6 with me. Look at verse 6. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. He wants all of you. And he deserves all of you because he has given all of himself to you. If you ever wonder the extent of God's love for you, look at the cross. I mean, that is where we see God's love for you on full display. He's given all of himself to you. And so he doesn't want just parts of you. He wants all of you. 
Jesus, your God in heaven, has one category for attempting the Christian life alone, and it's verse 6. Jesus is saying is that the Christian life is too difficult. It's too countercultural to do it by yourself. This is what he's saying in verse 6, that apart from the vine, therefore apart from the other branches, you'll shrivel up and die. You won't bear any fruit. And John 15 isn't the only place that God places such a high emphasis on our love for one another. This word, this phrase, one another, occurs 32 times in the New Testament. I just want to read a couple of these to you. Um, Be at peace with one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. Pray for one another. This is how God designed you to live and grow in the mess of everyday life. And friends, these commands come with a cost. It will cost you something to invest in Christian community while you're in college. So what is the most valuable commodity you will have in college? Time. Yes, time is the most valuable commodity you'll have in college. And investing in Christian friendships will cost you time. You will have to waste your time finding Christian friends and investing in those relationships. It will also have social costs. Because not everyone is like you. Um, This will be uncomfortable at first. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter in the first century to the church in Colossae. It's called a Colossians, the book of Colossians. And in chapter 3, Paul wrote this. He said, here in the church, there is no Jew or Gentile, which were ethnic distinctions. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised, which are religious distinctions. There's no barbarian or Scythian. There's no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What he's saying is that the things that define us and separate us in the world have been abolished by Jesus in the church. That it's him who unites us. So there's this beautiful unity in the church and there's this beautiful diversity as well. And that's really hard. Like the community of the church is beautiful, but as you can imagine, it's also uncomfortable. Because, right, as we heard from Krista, like Jesus loves sinners. And if you're anything, if you know any sinners, like maybe yourself, me, um, it's really hard to be around other sinners. But this is, the, this is who Jesus loves, and this is who he's called together in his church. So there's social costs. It's uncomfortable because not everyone is like you. And if you look at the last two verses we read, verses 18 and 19, you following Jesus might result in people hating you. And this is because the world has rejected Jesus. And if you're a branch in his vine, they, they might reject you too. Following Jesus might have great social cost for you. And the only reason for investing in spiritual friendships is Jesus. So that's the only reason. So there's a time cost. There's a social cost. Finally, there's an emotional reserve cost. It can be really exhausting to lay down your life for each other. I mean, especially in seasons when there's physical illness or there's seasons of mental illness in people's lives. Um, life is really messy and it costs a lot. It costs emotional reserve for this. But this is the community that Jesus provides for us. This is the community that Jesus builds for us. And if Jesus answers our need for belonging, then this frees us to live recklessly. You could say that Christians are both the safest and the riskiest people on the college campus. They're the safest people because of the cross. Because because of the cross, 
If you have faith in Christ, your identity is completely secure. You, know, you can know that because Jesus was cast out, if you have faith in him, you will never be cast out. You are completely safe in the love of Christ. So Christians are the safest people on the college campus because of the cross. But they're also the riskiest people on the college campus because of the cross. Because if you have faith in Christ and what he's done for you, and your identity is secure because he is your king, then you can take all sorts of risks. You can lay down your life for people. You can um, pursue all sorts of things because uh, they don't have the power to name you because Jesus has named you. So therefore, you're free. You're actually free to invest in Christian community. So how do I find Christian community? I want to give you three really practical ways that you can find Christian community. You can find this primary community when you're in college. So the first one is to pray is to ask God for it. Wherever you're going, the specifics of where you're going, ask your Father in Heaven for community. Um, Pray for a Christian community. Pray for one where you would grow in the knowledge of God's love for you in Christ. And in response, you would grow in your love of Him. Now you might be thinking, hey, where I'm going, it's a wasteland. There are no Christians there. Uh, There's a story I love to tell. A few years ago, um, there was a student from New England boarding schools who came up here and became a Christian up here during a summer program. And the school that the student went to, there was no Christian fellowship. And so they told their focus staff worker, hey, there's no fellowship. Or there are no Christians in my school. And so the focus staff well, hey, said, let's pray that God would provide this for you. Because right, it's clear in John 15 that it's required of the Christian life that we have community. So let's pray for Christian community. And so they prayed together. And then over the course of that year, um, a handful of the student's friends came to faith and became Christians. And so God provided Christian community for this student through his friends that were already there. Um, the Lord longs and delights to give this to you, so ask him for it. Second, um, tomorrow, Peter Schwanda is going to be up on the porch, um, and he has a computer, and on it there's a list of all the places that you're going to school and um, contacts that he has there. And he would love to connect you with people where you're going, whether it be a local church there or a ministry on your campus. So there's somebody there waiting for you who knows your name and wants to connect you with fellowship that's happening on your campus. And the third thing I'd say, the practical thing, is um, go to church the first Sunday that you're there. Make this a habit. Um, right? It's not everything, but that is the, that's where Jesus' people are. They're in the church. So go to church. Make it a habit um, your first Sunday there. So in closing, I want to briefly talk about the gift of Christian community. The gift of Christian community. So John 15, in a way, is Jesus' DTR with his disciples, his define the relationship talk with them. Um, Look at verse 15 with me. He says this. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Everything I have learned from my Father, I have made made known to you. Jesus promises friendship to his disciples, and he befriends his disciples by sharing the words of his Father with them. This got me thinking about my own children um, and what what the words uh, me as their father, the words that I give them, like um, like when I've got my kids you know, snuggled in close, and I'm telling them things um, in love, telling them true things about who they are. So it would be words of encouragement, words of discipline, um, words of love. And that the fact that 
Um, and just wondering, okay, as I tell them this thing, who are they going to share this with? Like, these are, these are really sweet, intimate moments with my kids. Who are they going to be the people that they tell this to? Um, and realizing it'll probably be their friends, right? They're probably going to tell stories, um, like as I do, tell stories of my own parents to my closest friends. That the words of their father will be the currency for their friendships. What do I mean by that when I say currency of friendships? Um, so Leo, my six-year-old, just bought a watch. And uh, he, and right, so the current, he, and it cost him $16. So he saved up his Christmas money and all this like picking up sticks money and he bought a watch. And so the, the currency, the currency for, for a watch is money, right? That's very obviously. Um, so uh, the way that we build spiritual friendships, the currency for building spiritual friendships is through sharing the words of our Heavenly Father with each other. This is, in a way, what Jesus is saying. That the, the words of His Father are the currency for spiritual friendships. What are the words of the Father? These are the words that the Father speaks to you through His Word, through, the, through Scriptures, by His Spirit, for you, to you. And Christian community is where you share our Father's words with each other. And this is done in friendship with Jesus. Last summer, I spoke with one of the, um, the vineyard staff who was up here. We had this great conversation. He was telling me about how much he loved his time at vineyard staff. And he said that for the first two weeks they were up here, they spend um, that time sharing their testimonies with one another. And that this real depth of friendship develops. They experience knowing one another and being known by each other um, and loved by each other as they share their stories. That in community, they, they learn how to share the story of God at work in their lives. And testimony is, is what we heard earlier. It's just the testimony is just sharing the Father's words to you, talking about the goodness of the grace of Jesus to you in your need, in your sin, in your brokenness, the goodness of God to you as a sinner, the depth of the love of Christ for you. And friends, your friendships will only be as rich as you're willing to let them be. As you trust others with the words of your father, your friendships will grow and they will blossom out into gardens of delight. And that's what this whole thing is about. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 11. As you dwell in him, he will bear fruit in your life and he will give you the joy that you long for. Jesus is saying, Y'all stay close to me, and I will cause joy to flower out from your soul. I mean, do you, do you know why Jesus is using this metaphor, the gardener and the vine and the branches? It's because the fruit of the vine exists for the delight of the gardener. It exists for the pleasure of the gardener. Jesus is saying that the joy that he produces in us brings great delight to our Father in heaven. So do you want in on that joy? This is a serious question. Do you want in on that joy? Do you want a full life that brings delight to your Father in heaven? This is yours in Jesus. And it's found in his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of delight that you picture yourself for us in Scripture as a gardener who delights 
and the vine who is his son and the branches who bear fruit. We thank you that this is the work that you do in us by your spirit. And Lord, I pray for my friends here that, um, Lord, you would connect them ever more deeply into your people. Lord, um, that you would help us to answer the question, where do I belong? Um, by welcoming us ever more deeply into your family. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.